Good evening. Thank you for coming to the Amber Shows. I'm so excited. So, tonight's show, from now on, on Friday nights, I will read a chapter of the book I have chosen to read to you. Many times you want to read a book, but you haven't the time or the willpower to just to pick it up and do it. So I'm going to do it for you on Friday nights. You may not be able to go to sleep, and all you have to do is come to my show, and you can hear my readings and even catch up on what you missed the week before. So that way, I can continue to the next chapter every Friday, and you'll be caught up. The book I've chosen for you is called A Piece of Cake. It's by Cupcake Brown. I had previously said that I was going to read Black Boy by Richard Wright, but it's a little dark, a little heavy at this time. I wanted to have something that will show you promise and hard work will make your dreams a reality. So this is the book I have chosen. Cupcake, A Piece of Cake by Cupcake Brown. Now, it's a heart-wrenching, uplifting tale, and it's a true story. This is a memoir, her memoir, and there are shelves of memoirs about everything, um, people overcoming all types of things, you know, a death of a parent, a childhood abuse, rape, drug addiction, miscarriage, alcoholism, hustling, gang banging, near-death injuries, drug dealing, prostitution, and homelessness. But this is about Cupcake Brown, and she survived all of these things before she was even 20 years old. And that's when things get interesting. So, I want to first uh, tell you uh, what she said as far as her dedication to her book. She said that this book was dedicated for God, who never turned his back on me, even when I turned my back on him. And for my mama and my grandma, how I miss you so. I love you. I'll see you both after a while. Her forwarding note, which I really love, is where there is life, there is hope. Where there is hope, there is truth. Where there is truth, there is love. Where there is love, there is faith. Where there is faith, there is success. Where there is success, there is God. Chapter 1, A Piece of Cake. The booming music coming from Mama's radio alarm clock suddenly woke me. I could hear Elton John singing from, singing about Philadelphia freedom. I wondered why Mama didn't wake me. I thought to myself, that was weird. It was January 1976. Wasn't no school that day, but Mama still had to go to work. So while Mama was at work, I was going over to Daddy's house to play with Kelly, the daughter of his lady friend. I wonder why she didn't wake me, I thought again to myself as I climbed out of bed. When I passed the dresser, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. Boy, was I ugly. Skinny, black, and ugly. That's what the kids at school called me. Or they'd yell out, vet, vet, looks like my pet. My mama, my birth name was Laverne. But my first birth name was Cupcake. At least that's what my mama told me. Seems Mama craved cupcakes when she was pregnant with me. She had three cupcakes a day, every day, without fail, for nine and a half months. I was two weeks overdue. Mama said that even if she didn't eat anything else, she'd have her daily dose of cupcakes. Anyway, seems that while we were in labor, the hospital gave Mama some pain drugs. Once Mama popped me out, the nurse said, Pat, that was my Mama's name, you have a little girl. Do you know what you want to name her? Tired and exhausted from eight hours of hard labor, Mama lifted her head, smiled sheepishly, and said, Cupcake, before she passed out. So that's what they put down on my birth certificate. I mean, that is what she said. The nurses thought it was due to the excitement of motherhood. Mama said it was the drugs. A few hours later, when Daddy came to the hospital, he decided he didn't like Cupcake. Mama and Daddy wanted to name me Levette. So, just make daddy happy mama said so she had the hospital change my name i didn't mind really i loved my daddy's 
So as far as I was concerned, he could change my name to whatever he wanted. But Mama said that to her, I would always be Cupcake. She never called me anything else, except sometimes she called me Cup for short. Anyway, the kids at school always told me that I was ugly. They teased me, saying I looked like Aunt Esther. You know that old lady from Sanford and Son, the one always calling Sanford a fish-eyed fool? She was the ugliest woman I'd ever seen. So if the other kids thought I looked like her, I knew I had to be ugly. Besides, everybody knew a black girl wasn't considered pretty unless she was light-skinned with long, straight hair. I was dark-skinned with short, kinky hair. I hated my complexion. I hated my hair. I hated my skinny legs and arms. But my mama thought I was beautiful. She'd say, Cup, you're only 11 years old. You will appreciate your beauty as you grow up. Shoot, I couldn't wait to grow up. Mama always said things that made me feel better. I loved my mama. She was my best friend. She was beautiful. She had cocoa-colored skin and her long black hair way past her shoulders. And mama had the biggest, prettiest smile you ever saw. People always told her that she looked like Diana Ross because of her long hair and wide, beautiful smile. All teeth. I passed the black, ugly thing in the mirror and continued toward Mama's room. The radio alarm continued to blast. I giggled to myself. Mama was like me. She hated getting up in the morning. So she put the clock way across the room and turned it all the way up so it would scare her awake in the morning. That way she didn't have to get out of, she, she'd have to get out of bed and walk across the room to turn it off. I wonder why she didn't turn the alarm off, I thought as I made my way through the kitchen towards the large living room that led into mama's room the floor was cold because wasn't no carpet in our house still i loved our old house it was a victorian style three bedrooms and one bathroom we lived in san diego in the heart of the ghetto though i never knew it until i got older we had one our we had our share of dilapidated houses and run-down apartment buildings but most of the houses and apartments in the neighborhood were in decent order i mean we didn't have any mansions but most folks made sincere efforts to keep their houses decent looking they watered their tired brown lawns trying to keep them up as kept up as a lawn could be with kids running all over it all the time and tried to replace windows that had been broken from runaway balls fly balls that escaped the imaginary fields of street ba- baseball games we had a great neighborhood store Sawaya Brothers. They had everything you could need or want, including the most delicious pickled pig feet. We had a neighborhood park, memorial park, a boys club, and a girls club. I thought my family was rich because I was the only kid in the neighborhood who had his own bedroom furnished with a white princess style bedroom set complete with a canopy bed, matching nightstands and dresser. There was a pink frilly comforter with matching frills for the canopy overhead, and I had a closet full of clothes unlike other kids in my neighborhood i never had to share clothes or wear hand-me-downs mama loved to sew and made most of my clothes the other kids thought we were rich too little did we know that we weren't rich it's just that both my mom and dad worked while the other kids only had one parent trying to raise several kids either on one income or more commonly on welfare though being on welfare wasn't nothing to be ashamed about most everybody was on it in fact i envied my friends on welfare because they got government food that you couldn't get from the store like this great government cheese you ain't had a grilled cheese sandwich till you've had one made with government cheese the blasting brought me back to my immediate mission, finding out why Mama didn't wake up, wake me. I wished she'd wake me up. I thought as I followed the sound of the blaming, blasting radio, I was excited about getting to my daddy's. My mama was daddy's. My mama and daddy didn't live together. Daddy lived around the way with my with my brother Larry. I hated Larry. Larry was thin and lanky like me, and he was dark skinned like me. Although he was two years older than me, he never acted like a big brother. He never protected me. In fact, he was usually the one I had to be protecting, be protected from. And usually it was me jumping in a fight to protect him. I thought he was a wimp. 
Larry hated me just as much as I hated him, but for different reasons. He was jealous of me. He'd never admit it, but I knew he was. I was the one who always got good grades and saved my weekly allowance so I could buy something nice and big, while Larry hated school and was always on the verge of flunking out and spent his money faster than he got it. And then he had the nerve to get mad when he didn't have any money left. Our hate for each other resulted in fierce fights cussing each other out. I turned him into I turned into an art from an early age and throwing knives and hammers or anything else lethal we could find at each other. Our fights were no joke. We were trying to kill each other for real or at least cause, cause lots of bodily harm. In our house Before Larry went to live with Daddy, I could never slack up and always had to watch my back because we were always trying to sabotage each other. Once I woke up, Larry trying to smother me with a pillow. Bastard. He just woke up one day and decided he'd try to kill me. I had to fight back, kick, scratch, punch, and scream to get him off me. I got him back. I tried to poison him. Larry was always trying to boss me around. One day... After yet another unsuccessful attempt to killing me, he'd ordered me to get him some Kool-Aid, and I did, with a little rat poison in it. But watching my sudden obedience, he got suspicious, talking about he smelled something funny. He ordered me to take a drink first. I took a sip, but I didn't swallow. I just held it in my mouth, hoping he'd now be willing to drink. He was smarter than I thought. He fucked around and fucked around, swirling the Kool-Aid in the glass with a sly grin on his face till I could, couldn't fit, hold, I, until I couldn't hold what was in my mouth anymore without swallowing. Oh shit, I thought, I can't kill myself. That'd be right up his alley. I ran for the bathroom, which confirmed Larry's suspicions that something was up. He ran ahead of me and blocked the bathroom door with his body laughing hysterically at the irony of the situation. My only other option was out the front door. Halfway across the room, I'd never make it. Swallow it, bitch, he ordered, his body blocking the doorway, hands up in the air like a soccer goalie. Damn, I hated him. But I wouldn't have the last, I would have the last word on this one. It took me a moment to think of a way out. But then it came to me. As I realized my way out, The look of terror on my face from envisioning what seemed to be my impending death slowly changed into a wide-ass grin. I spit the Kool-Aid in his face, and with that, it was on. We tumbled, kicked a bit, and scratched until we tired ourselves out and retreated to opposite ends of the house to await the next battle. So I was really glad when Mama sent Larry to go live with Daddy. Larry had started talking back to Mama, being smart-mouthed and sassin'. I remember the day Larry left Mama t- told Larry to move a can of paint from off the back porch. Larry angrily stomped toward the paint can, but instead of moving it, he kicked it as if he was punting a football toward Mama. I don't know if he, if he meant for the can to hit her, but it did. The can flew into the air like a football toward a goalpost. It struck Mama on the shoulder as it made its way back down the impact from the can hitting Mama's shoulders caused the lid to topple off and paint flew everywhere. Mama stood there for what seemed like forever, although it really only was a moment. Paint dripped off her clothes and face like icicles off a tree. I swear I thought I was I thought I saw smoke coming out of her ears. She balled her fist. I thought she was gonna knock the shit out of Larry. Actually I was hoping she would. Then maybe I could get in a kick or two myself, but instead she spun suddenly and quickly on her heels. Her long black hair flying out behind her reminded me of Batman's cape. Stomped into the house and over to the phone and called my daddy. Come get this little nigga before I kill him, she screamed. Needless to say, daddy quickly came and Larry quickly went. Larry had lived with daddy ever since. Daddy saved Larry's life that day. After Larry left, We really didn't see much of each other, which was fine with both of us. Daddy and Mama would switch me and Larry on the weekends so each parent could spend time with the child he or she didn't live with. 
This meant that Larry and I had to see each other only in passing, and even that was too much for me. I loved my weekends with my daddy. We'd dress up, daddy would put on his one suit, and I'd put on a nice dress, and we'd go on a date. We'd usually go somewhere for dinner and then to the movies. My daddy was the only person besides my mama who thought I was pretty. He'd hop me up on his knee and ask, who's the prettiest girl in the whole wide world? And in between giggles, I'd say, I am, but I never believed it. He had to think I, he, he had to think I was pretty. He was my daddy. When we were out in the, on our dates, he'd ask everyone, this is my daughter, ain't she pretty? What were they gonna say? Actually, sir, she looks like shit? No, they smiled and lied and told daddy I sure was pretty. I didn't care that they were lying. I loved my daddy and I loved our dates. Didn't bother me that mama and daddy didn't live together either. They still loved each other. Daddy did have a lady friend, Lori, but to me, she was just that, his friend, Lori. She was a tall, thin, white woman. She reminded me of Popeye's girlfriend, Olive Oil, but I still liked her because she made the best chocolate cake, my favorite. I really liked her daughter, Kelly, a, pr- a pudgy Mexican looking girl with long black hair about six months younger than me. Neither of us had a sister, so we decided we'd be each other's sister. We played together and always had fun together. She didn't mind being silly and she was always willing to play my favorite game, Africans. I'd be Unga Bunga and she'd be Uga Wooga. We'd jump around with fake spears, acting like, like, like a fool. I had no idea what it was like to be a real African, so I imitated what I'd seen on TV. I didn't know that TV was run by white folks. What do white folks know about being African? Nothing. But at the time, I was too young and really didn't care to know. Anyway, I couldn't wait to get get to Daddy's house so Kelly and I could play. Why didn't Mama wake me? I thought again as I continued walking toward her room. My head down in deep thought, while I was contemplating what outfit I would wear to Daddy's, I looked up and froze. I'll never forget what I saw. The radio was still blasting in the background. Mama was lying face down on her stomach. She was hanging off the side of the bed from her waist up. Her long black hair was hanging down, covering her face. Her arms hung limp onto the floor. Mama, I asked, walking toward her. The radio continued to blare. As I got down, it seemed to get louder. Mama, I thought maybe she was kidding. Mama was always playing with me just the night before we were playing house and doing each other's hair, dancing around, acting silly. I thought Mama was just playing another game, so I expected her to jump up like a jack-in-the-box and scream, Boo! But she didn't move. I touched her arm. She was cool. I didn't know what that means, but I knew it wasn't good. Mama? I repeated as I tried to lift her up by her shoulders so I could see her face. I didn't know death was so heavy. When I tried to lift her, her body slid off the bed and onto the floor, and we both hit the floor with a thud, and as she landed on top of me, I heard a gurgling noise in her throat. She was heavy. Still, I didn't panic. It took a while, but I managed to squeeze myself from up under her and turn her over. She was so beautiful, even dead. I don't know how I knew she was dead, I'd never seen death before. I just knew. I got up and slowly walked over to the nightstand where the phone lay and called Lori. Hello? Lori answered. Lori, this is Vet. My mom is dead. I said it so casually. Lori thought I, that she'd misunderstood what I said. What'd you say, she asked. My mom is dead, I repeated in the same casual voice. Are you sure? Yeah. Stay right there. I'm going to call your father. I hung up and almost immediately the phone rang. I nonchalantly picked it up. Hello? Pumpkin, this is Daddy. My daddy always called me Pumpkin. Never Pumpkin. Always Pumpkin. Once I asked him why and he said because when I was a baby, I had a big chubby cheeks that made my face look like a little round pumpkin. And ever since, he called me Pumpkin. I never had no problem keeping up with all my different names. Mama called me Cop, Daddy, I mean, Mama called me Cup, 
Daddy called me Pumpkin. Everybody else called me Vet. Hi, Daddy Pumpkin. What's going on? Mama's dead. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. We were screaming at each other because the whole radio was still blaring. I'd never turned it off. Call the police. I'll be right there, he yelled before slamming the phone down. I could I didn't call the police. Somehow I knew that once they came, they'd make they'd take mama away and I'd never see her again. So instead, I went back to her, scooted my little body under her so I could put her on my lap and began singing our favorite song, Chain of Fools by Aretha Franklin. We used to play that song as we sang and danced around the house. In fact, we had just been dancing to it and singing it in the night, singing it the night before. I hadn't known then that that would be our last goodbye party. It was then I began to cry. And that's how Daddy found me a half hour later, sitting on the floor with Mama's head in my lap, stroking her hair, and through my tears singing, Chain of Fools. Did you call the police? He screamed as he bent down to feel her neck. I didn't respond. I just kept singing and stroking her hair and crying. The radio kept blaring. Daddy ran outside. A police car happened to be passing by and Daddy flagged them down. When the cop entered the room, they seemed a little shocked at the scene. A thin little black girl cradling a dead woman singing and crying and a radio blasting. One cop picked me up gently laying Mama's head on the floor and took me outside while the other called for an ambulance. Daddy and I followed the ambulance to the hospital. A little while later, as Daddy and I stood outside in the parking lot, a doctor walked up and told us Mama was dead. Boy, I thought to myself, I could have told y'all that. How long y'all go to school to know that one? He said Mama had been an epilept had had an epileptic seizure and that she'd swallowed her tongue and choked on it. She suffocated on her tongue. The thud of her body hitting the floor when she'd fallen on top of me caused her tongue to dislodge, which was the gurgling sound I'd heard. She was 34 years old. Daddy began to cry. He was so mad he kicked the brick wall beside me. I was surprised he didn't break his foot. He cried for a long time. Once he got himself together, we got in the car and headed for his house. As we pulled up to Daddy's house, Lori, Kelly, and Larry were waiting on the porch. Daddy told them what I already knew. Mama was dead. No one said anything for a while. Everyone just cried. As the tears slowly turned to, to sniffles, we all climbed into Daddy's little red Nova. He'd bought a red because it was her favorite color, my favorite color. Although I just found my mother dead, there was no reason for a truce between me and Larry. He slapped my head as he climbed into the car and I punched his side. Bastard, I hated him. Daddy drove us to the library. He said he wanted to get books to explain what it was, what epilepsy was. Who cares? I snarled to myself. Whatever it is, it killed my mama. On the way back from the library, a song came on the radio. Neil Sedaka's Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Don't take your love away from me. Don't take, don't you leave my heart in misery. I began to cry again, and Daddy reached over and turned the radio off, but it was too late. That was our, our new song, Mama and My Other Song, Chain of Fools would be our live song, and Breaking Up is Hard to Do would be our death song. Shit, I thought. Life sucks. Little did I know, my hell hadn't even begun. Why do people act a fool about death? Soon as word got out about Mama's death, folks were at my house trying to get her stuff. Her body wasn't even cold, and they were fighting over who was going to get what. Mama didn't have any sisters, and she only had one brother, my, my Uncle Junior. His name was Ray, but we always called him Uncle Junior. Uncle Junior was a stocky man who stood about five foot three. He was coca-colored like my mom and had that same smooth, silky black hair. Good hair is what black folks called it, not woolly and kinky like mine. He was the only uncle I had and I loved him a lot. That was one thing about me. I didn't have many people in life, but those I had, I loved fiercely. Uncle Junior was really quiet, probably because he was a junior high school teacher and he was around badass hollering kids all day. He taught at one of the worst junior high schools in San Diego, which is where he was, was the morning that Mama died, teaching them bastard kids. 
But as soon as he got the call about Mama, he came to Daddy's. Although Uncle Junior was my only uncle, he was my favorite uncle. He and my grandma lived five blocks from us. We lived on 13th and Overview, and they lived on 25th and Ocean View. We were always down at their house, and they were always at ours. My mama and her brother were ex- extremely close, so he was like a second father to me. I remember the day I realized he loved me. Uncle Junior and I had gone to Taco Bell to get some food to go. As Uncle Junior got out the car to order the food, he warned me not to touch anything. Problem with that was, I loved to drive. Junior and Grandma's car was a 1962 Ford Falcon, and the gear shift was a funny-looking stick that protruded from the steering wheel. No sooner that he closed the door, I climbed into the driver's seat and began pulling up and down to go the gear shift as I voiced as I voiced make believe sounds of a car transmission shifting gears. Mmm, mmm. Well, in messing around with the gears, I must have accidentally shifted the car in neutral and another playful moment released the emergency brake. The car started moving. The Taco Bell was on a small hill. When the car started moving, it started rolling backwards down the hill. I looked out the rear view window and I saw what I was rapidly heading for a huge tree. My eyes bulged and I started screaming, Junior, help, help. I still remember the look of sheer terror on his face as he threw the tacos and soda in the air and bolted toward the car. His eyes were now bulging like mine. He caught up with the car as it kept rolling backwards. Somehow he snatched the driver's door open, tossed me aside as he hopped half of his body in. He left his leg. His leg was being dragged along as he used his right to slam on the brakes. When the car came to a sudden stop, we both lurched forward and I almost shot through the windshield. We'd come within an inch of hitting that tree. It was then I knew my uncle loved me by the fear on his face and the way he ran like hell to save me. But after I got over the fact that my uncle loved me, I started crying, not from any physical pain, but because I knew my mama was gone. She was going to whoop my ass when she found out what I'd done. She was always getting on me about playing in the car. The more I thought of the spanking I had coming, the louder I cried. Finally, Uncle Junior was able to calm me down with the taco and soda. When we got home, he told Mama that he'd left the emergency brake off. He took all the blame. I never stepped up to say, no, it wasn't him. It was all me. Nope. I let him take the blame because, hell, I knew he wasn't going to get me. I knew he wasn't going to get no ass whooping for it. But his covering for me sealed our bond that day. To this day, if you ask him what happened that day, he'll tell you he must have left the emergency brakes off, causing the car to roll backwards. Damn, I love that man. It was my it was my Uncle Junior who'd also given me my love for learning. He was a school teacher and real smart. He was always telling me interesting facts and stuff. For example, he told me that my great-great-great-grandmother was kidnapped by an Indian tribe and forced to be a concubine. She was pregnant by one of the braves, and the baby was born under Indian captivity. She and the baby were subsequently rescued by a buffalo soldier whom she later married. Of course, I asked Uncle Junior was a buffalo soldier was, and as a result, got a short history lesson on the historic segregated black cavalry and infantry soldiers who kept order and protected the settlements in the southwestern part of the United States. The only family I'd ever known were my mama and Larry, who I was constantly trying to get rid of, my grandma, my uncle Junior, and my daddy. My uncle was a very important customary part of my everyday life, especially after Larry went to live with daddy. Junior would check up on us periodically because mama and I were two women living alone. I used to put my hands on my hips when he said that and reply, I ain't no woman. We'd both crack up laughing. Poor Uncle Junior, he didn't have even have time to mourn his only sister's death. Since mama had left him in charge of everything in the event of her death, he was too busy trying to fight everyone off mama's stuff while trying to pack it and trying to send it to me and Larry and make funeral arrangements and taking care of his own mama, my grandma, who had Alzheimer's. She was once a school teacher too. Now she just sat. Most times she didn't even know who we were. I remember when grandma started losing it. She had long hair like my mama and she used to love for mama to wash it. But one day 
Mama was trying to wash Grandma's hair, and Grandma started fighting her. I mean, she just started swinging on her. Nope, you know where Larry and I got Now you know where Larry and I got it from. Mama struggled and struggled and finally got Grandma under control, but not before taking several powerful blows. Grandma's condition quickly worsened after that. Soon Mama and Junior had to move Grandma to a convalescent home. It was weird no longer having Grandma down the street from me, where she lived most of my life. Mama hated that her mother had to be in one of those homes, so she or Junior visited Grandma every day. Grandma wasn't there long, long though. Mama and Junior got a frantic phone call one night. It seems an elderly white woman with Tourette syndrome had been placed there. The woman called Grandma a nigger. Grandma hopped out of her chair and took off after that woman. She was going to whoop that woman's ass. She may have severely may have been severely incapacitated and extremely forgetful to the point where she often didn't recognize her own children. But she remembered the insults when that word came out. The convalescent home said Grandma was too violent and had to go. Anyway, all I remember in one minute, Junior was fighting kinfolk off Mama's stuff and the next he, Daddy, Larry, and I were sitting in a large plush office. I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on because there seemed to be so so much confusion in what was supposed to happen to me and Larry. Mama had been dead a couple of days. There was a white man in a black robe sitting behind a big desk. I knew he was a judge because his nameplate said so. Next to the judge was a, was a black man I'd never seen before. There were two other white men who I later learned were lawyers. My daddy, Uncle Junior, me and Larry, they were discussing what was going to happen to us, ch- us children. The tall black man said he wanted to go he wanted us to go with him. Daddy said he was he was going we were going with him. The judge looked like he didn't know where we should go. We're going with our daddy, I said defiantly as I climbed up into my daddy's lap. He wrapped his arms around me protectively. I'd always been headstrong and straight out. I ain't never had a problem letting someone know what I thought. Mama once told me I was too straight out. Once we were in the grocery store and this old white man bent over, gave me a wide grin and said, hey pretty lady, hey pretty lady. He didn't have no teeth, so I asked him, where are your teeth at? Before he could answer, I continued, ain't you got welfare? My friend Marsha got welfare and they gave her mama a whole new set of teeth after her daddy knocked them out. You should go down to the welfare office and see if you can get get you some teeth. Mama rushed over and cupped her hand over my mouth and I looked at the man sheepishly. He looked at her embarrassed. I looked at both of them confused and pissed because I didn't get to finish my sentence. I was just trying to help the man. I mean, hell, he needed teeth and I knew where he could get some. Cup. Some things don't need to be said, Mama scolded as she rushed out the store. Girl, we got to get your mouth fixed. You something else. I didn't know what that meant, but if it meant I couldn't speak my mind, I didn't want it. All the grown-ups were arguing in the room. For some strange reason, the tall black man said he wanted us. I didn't want him. I wanted my daddy and my Uncle Junior. The judge said Larry and I could stay with daddy at least until after Mama's funeral, which was a couple of days. He said by then he'd have to decide where we were going to go. Daddy took us home. The next couple of days were a really quiet, solemn time. I kept waiting for folks to bring over food. I mean, a few months ago, my friend Rosemary's dad had died. Actually, he, he was killed during a robbery. After he died, Rosemary's family brought all kinds of food over to the house. Cakes and pies and chickens and turkeys, all kinds of good stuff. So when my mama died, I kept waiting on my folks, bringing me some food. But no one did. Didn't matter, because like I said, those were some really fucked up days. Larry and I didn't even fight. We were sad and missed our mama. But it was more than that. I guess we was too worried about what was going on. Yeah, it was really quiet around there. I wanted to wear, wear a really pretty red dress to my mama's funeral. Lori said, you're supposed to wear black to a funeral. But black wasn't my favorite color. Red was. 
At the top of my lungs, I started screaming. I want to wear my favorite color to my mother's funeral. Let her wear what she want, Daddy snapped. He had been talking less and less. He now spoke a few words as possible, and always in harsh, abrupt phrases. Yeah, bitch, is what I wanted to say. Instead, I said, Y-E-A-H, but in a you-tell-her-daddy kind of way. Junior said he was bringing Grandma to, to Mama's funeral. I don't think she realized what was going on. Junior said that when he told Grandma Mama died, she cried for a moment and then just went off into a blank stare. Or maybe she felt the way I did. The whole thing. About the whole thing. Helpless. It was raining the day we buried my mama. A lot of people came. Great aunts, great uncles, cousins, a lot of folks crying. Don't know why. Not only did none of them ever bring any damn food to us, most of them never even called us. Never said, you and the kids need some help. You got everything you need. Kiss my ass or nothing. See, my mama was sort of the white sheep of the family, and she didn't like folks in her business. Families liked to get into your business, but mama, like me, was extremely private. Or we'd show up at a family function, we just didn't let them get in our business, which pissed them off. They called us uppity. Anyway, now they're crying and carrying on, probably out of guilt, because it was show wasn't love. You can't show love to someone when she's dead. Even I knew that. The dark gray clouds created a dreary drab day to match my dreary drab attitude. The rain made the ground wet, mushy, and difficult to walk on. For the uh, internment, the mortuary had set out two rows of chairs in front of Mama's casket for some of the family members. But no one wanted to fight their way through the mud to sit there. It seemed to me like we owed it to Mama to make the effort. They were getting ready to put her in the mud, but folks didn't want to walk on it. Assholes. I marched right through that mud and sat in the first chair. Solemnly, I sat, the tears mixing with the raindrops falling down my face. Soon Daddy came and sat, then Uncle Junior leading Grandma, then Larry, Kelly, and Lori soon followed. No one else did, though. They didn't want to get wet, and they called us uppity. Anyway, the preacher was talking something about the Lord giveth and, and then went into something about dust to dust. I just sat there, my skinny black legs dangling. I said goodbye to my mama and wondered where the fuck was this God that the preacher kept talking about. I didn't know much about God except that if you pissed him off, he'd get you one day. My mama knew God. She was raised a Methodist. In fact, her daddy was a Methodist preacher. Still, mama said she wanted more from God. So for the past couple of years, she'd been searching for more. I got to go with her on some of those searches. First we tried the Jehovah Witness. They were cool till I learned they didn't celebrate Christmas. God or no God, I wasn't giving up Christmas. Then we tried the Muslims or the black Muslims as mama called them. I didn't like them because we got to their church which they called a mosque. They made us change our clothes and put on some of their clothes. Floor length dresses and material to wrap around our heads and so our hair wouldn't show and they searched us too which pissed me off but mama seemed to understand she said it was because white folks thought the muslims were militant so white folks was always messing with them you know harassing them arresting them threatening them mama and muslims had to be careful so that's why they were searching folks during mama's god search we tried a few other religions I never really did care one way or the other. I never really seriously thought about God because no matter what the religion, they all wanted you to be perfect. All I knew, I was far from perfect. So I figured God would want to mess with me, wouldn't want to mess with me. I don't know which religion Mama finally decided on. Maybe she realized she didn't need a particular religion to know and love God or for God to know and love her. Whatever, she decided she also decided that she wasn't going to choose for me. She wanted to wait until I was old enough and then let me decide my own religion. Sitting there staring at my mama's casket, I wondered why God didn't save my mama. I decided whatever, whoever, 
this god was. He must not like me very much because instead of saving her, he killed her. And since he didn't like me, I didn't like him. In fact, I decided I hated him. So there I sat, staring straight ahead, eyes blank, wishing the preacher would shut up about God. Soon enough, he did. And folks began making their way back to their cars, some doing a light sprint to get out of the rain. I didn't move. Since Daddy, Uncle Junior, and the others slowly rose and began heading for the limo, I continued to continue. They stared to lower. I continued to sit. They started to lower my, mo- my mama's casket into the ground. Still, I sat. Finally, Daddy came, scooped me up, and carried me to the car. A couple of days after Mama's funeral, we had to go back to the judge's office. The tall black man was there again, and he was wearing the same suit. The two white lawyers were there also. The judge finally introduced the tall black man to me and Larry. Children, this is Mr. Burns, your father. He said it so nonchalantly as if he were reacquainting us with an old familiar friend. My father? My father? If I didn't know this white man was crazy before, I sure knew it then. That ain't my daddy, I screamed as I ran to my daddy and climbed up on his lap. This my daddy. Daddy scooped me up and gently stroked my hair. There was a tear running down his cheek. This was the second time in my life I'd ever seen my daddy cry. Second time in less than two weeks. I'm sorry, Mr. Mr. Long. The judge said to Daddy, ignoring my outbursts, but my hands are tied. California law clearly states that when a parent dies, the surviving biological parents get first choice as to the custody of the children, absent a showing of unfitness. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to give the children to Mr. Burns. Unfitness? Daddy yelled as he bolted out of his seat almost dropping me to the floor. Unfitness? I'll give you unfitness. Where in the hell has he been for the past ten and a half years? Where in the hell was he when my kids were sick, when my kids needed school clothes, during their recitals and ball games, huh? Where the fuck was he? Why weren't they his kids then? I'd never seen Daddy so pissed. I decided that if he went for the judge, I'd have his back. We'll kick that white man's ass. Talking about that tall black man was my daddy that wasn't my fucking daddy please mr long the judge begged please watch your language the judge was scared i couldn't tell by the way he was fidgeting i could tell by the way he was fidgeting with the papers on his desk and erratically moving things around sweat was pouring off his face the tall black man mr burns he was scared too he just stood there like not saying a word i was confused how could mr burns be my daddy so what if We had the same last name. I never saw him before in my life. He wasn't there when I I had to go to the hospital to get my tonsils out. He wasn't there in the front row for my first violin recital. He didn't build my fancy red stove. My daddy did. So my daddy could build stuff really well. So he built me this toy stove. It looked like a real stove. And it was oh, almost as big as me. Daddy painted it red, my favorite color. It had burners and knobs and everything. It even had a little oven door with a window. And when you opened it, there were two baking rack- racks inside. All the girls in the neighborhood wanted to play house at my house so we could cook on my stove. On my stove. But Burns never built me a damn stove. He never sang to me either. My daddy used to sing to me every night before I went to bed, even after he and Mama didn't live together anymore. On our weekends together, he'd sing to me. He'd tuck me into bed, and in my sweetest daddy little girl voice, I'd say, Daddy, sing everybody. And he'd sing. Everybody loves somebody sometimes. Everybody falls in love somehow. I loved that song. I loved my daddy. That tall black stranger was not my daddy. The room was chaotic. The white lawyers were arguing. Daddy and Mr. Burns were arguing. The judge was scared. Uncle Junior was trying to keep everyone calm. Wasn't working. I love my kids, Mr. Burns abruptly shouted. Was he... Was he was trying to convince us or himself? Well, if you love them, Daddy sneered. Where's the $18,500 in back child support you owe? The room grew suddenly silent. 
my daddy paid child support for us. I knew he did because I remember when he and mama were in front of the divorce judge, the judge had looked at some papers my daddy had given him and said, I see here that, I see here, they've got you down for child support. You don't have to pay, you know you don't have to pay for these kids. Sure I do, my daddy replied, they're my kids. Mama later told a friend that daddy never missed a payment and he still gave us our, allow- our allowance, which personally was all I cared about child support and visitation that's all my daddy wanted for the divorce he wanted to pay child support and he wanted to be able to see his kids and my mama was so nice she gave him both but mr burns ain't never paid one dime in child support pay pay us hell no he never called us came to see us wrote us i had no idea who he was the judge looked so sad seems in california it didn't matter if you've never paid for your kids, didn't matter if you'd never visit them, loved them, or sang to them, none of the, none of this mattered at all. All you had to do was have them. What about me, Uncle Junior asked. Why can't they go with me? It just doesn't make sense to take them from their only family and give them to a complete stranger so after loving so soon after losing their mother. The judge looked at Uncle Junior like he really understood his dilemma. He replied that I couldn't live with it, Junior, because I was a girl, and they won't let a girl go to a home where there's not a woman in the house. And since Uncle Junior wasn't married, there wasn't a woman in his house. I later learned that my father married Lori just days after my mother's funeral. His lawyer had told him he didn't have a chance in hell to get us because he wasn't a blood relative, let alone the biological parents. But the lawyer said he really didn't have a chance in hell if he wasn't married because of the requirements that a woman be in the house. So he married Lori and moved into her apartment, which was larger. The plan completely failed. Meanwhile, I was unaware of daddy's reasoning for marrying Lori. I just took it as a sign that he didn't love my mom, which gave me resentment against him. I would carry for years. Besides, the judge continued, the system was designed to keep the children together, so that together with the fact that Mr. Burns is their biological father, gives me no alternative. Well, Daddy replied, the customs fucked. The judge repeated that under the law, he had no choice but to give us to Mr. Burns. Before anyone could respond, Mr. Burns said, what about the money? The room grew silent again. What money, the judge replied. Their insurance money, their mother left them. I understand there's an insurance policy. Whoever gets the children gets the money, right? The judge looked confused. He quickly rifled through a pile of papers on his desk. Ah, yes, the judge said. Yes, there is a life insurance policy that requires two payments. One at age 18 and another at age 21. However, it seems that the children's mother has placed the life insurance policy proceeds in a trust fund and has named her brother Ray as a trustee. Just what does that mean, Mr. Burns snapped. Now he looked pissed. Well, the judge replies, it means that no matter who gets the children, Mr. Stearns has control of the trust and therefore the life insurance policy. So that's it, I said to myself. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Mr. Burns never wanted us. He, he thought he had to have us to get the life insurance money. And now that he was stuck with two kids and no money, nothing served him right. It, it served him right. Uncle Junior chuckled quietly. He too was enjoying the fact that my mama was yet getting the last word. The judge, unfazed by Mr. Burns' sudden interest in the life insurance money, was continuing his instructions about what the law required him to do. He told Daddy to hand me and Larry over to Mr. Burns immediately. Daddy began to cry. Uncle Junior began crying. Larry, overwhelmed, began laughing hysterically. I started screaming, No, no! I wrapped my arms around Daddy's neck and held on for dear life. Daddy was trying to calm me down in between shredding, shedding his tears. Larry was now wrapped around Uncle Junior's legs. It must have been quite a sight. One skinny black girl around Daddy's neck like a scarf wailing at the top of her lungs and one skinny black wrapped one skinny black boy wrapped around Uncle Junior's legs like a cobra wailing at the top of his lungs. Daddy and Junior were each trying to hush our cries and gently pry us off. Wasn't working. Finally, Uncle Junior asked the judge's lawyer, the judge, the lawyers, and Mr. Burns to give him 
daddy a few moments alone with us. Mr. Burns stormed out of the room. I don't think he was pissed because I don't think he was, I think he was pissed because now we had to go with him and he wasn't getting any money. Once they left, Daddy calmed us down. Daddy, Larry Jr., Uncle Jr., and I all sat in a closed little circle. Daddy told us he loved us and that he and he always would. He told us to remember that as long as we remembered our mother and carried her in our heart, she would not die because her spirit would live on in us. Soon, he couldn't talk anymore. He was crying too hard. Uncle Junior wrapped one arm around Larry and the other around me. He told us that he too loved us and that he would always be there for us no matter what and that if we ever needed him to call him, he couldn't talk anymore either. During the next several years, Daddy, Lori, and Kelly would move around and change phone numbers quite a bit. However, Junior refused to move or change his number. He wanted to be sure for that. If we ever needed him, we would always be able to find him and get in touch with him. To this day, he still lives in the same house and has the same phone number. The four of us stood there in a group hug for a few moments crying. I was wishing we could stay there forever, but soon the judge came in and said we had to go. I walked out backward, tears rolling down my face. I waved goodbye to the only family I ever knew. I waved till I rounded the corner and wouldn't see them no more. Even then, I, wor- I kept on waving, even after I was in Mr. Burns' car and we were driving off. I must have waved for 10 minutes. The four of us would never be together again. So, that's our first chapter of A Piece of Cake. And next Friday, we will get to the interesting part where Cup and Larry, her brother, are living with a man who is only close to them because of blood and really does not want them at all and shows it. Thank you for coming to the Amber Shows. I hope you enjoyed a piece of cake. And next Friday, you'll know what happens with Mr. Burns, Larry, and Cup. Have a good night.